The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome to week two of the Five Hindrances, and we're using um, some references from the Wizard of Oz to kind of explore the hindrances. So last week we just kind of did a, an introductory and talked about, just introduced the five hindrances, which are, you know, um, sensual desire, greed, aversion, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And we describe them as energies. So um, is one, one way, and we offered a few ways to describe them, but one was as energies. And so if you think about the energy of um, desire or sensual desire, if there's an energy of leaning forward into wanting, right, to pull something to you versus the energy of aversion and ill will, which is a pushing away, right? There's this backward movement or this shoving away <laughs> movement. Um, with um, the energy of sloth and torpor, it's actually a lack of energy, right? Not enough energy to be awake and present. Um, and there's the there's two elements of the sloth and torpor. One has to do with in the body, and the other has to do with in the mind. The next set of hindrances is restlessness and worry, which is too much energy. So it's a body that is moving and agitated and unable to settle. Or it's a mind that's worrying and spinning and sort of unable to center and rest. And then there's doubt. And doubt is, um, it's sort of like it doesn't know what direction to go in the energy. Um, And that's, so there's a lot of starts and stops, kind of a, no, no momentum is really established. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just not clarity. There's no direction. So that's the hindrances as energy. We also talked about them as veils, things that obscure, things that make it difficult to see clearly. And another offering was uh, as things that hamper, hamper our ability to practice, to progress, to be free. So I'm I'm wondering if anyone had any reflections from this week uh, about noticing the hindrances. Were you able to take our invitation to play, be a little bit more playful with the presence of hindrances instead of kind of feeling burdened by them? Any thoughts, Gus or Kevin? And Jay, you weren't here, but... You're welcome to chime in. There's mics if anyone wants to share. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, um, something that came last week um, that I keep needing to be reminded of is, uh, uh, you know, there's the hindrance and you see it and then... uh, my usual reaction is a lot of aversion to having is like, oh, I see it. Oh my God, it shouldn't be there. And um, so, yeah, I was kind of caught in it um, a lot for today until uh, 
recent SID, and then I was sitting there, and we were starting, and I was looking at the sheet, and I was like, oh, yeah, and then uh, relax about it, um, the feeling of it. So, um, yeah, I'm ready to keep listening. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Kevin. Maybe I'll add, like, it's so fantastic that you recognize there's the hindrance itself, and then there's our reaction to it. And so often we have aversion to aversion, and then we have aversion to aversion to aversion, and on it goes. But it's really great to notice that there's we have the hindrances, and then then extra is wanting it to not be there. That's fantastic. So maybe I'll just briefly say a few things about um, we're going to move into now tonight talking more about um, desire and ill will. And um, so, you know, we kind of are using the reference of The Wizard of Oz, the movie, to kind of bring a playful um, and energy to it, but also to, it's an easy reference to sort of exaggerations. It just makes it so easy to see them. So, for example, well, first of all, I want to say there's kind of the, the hindrance of greed and, and desire, but there's also something called dhammachanda, which is more of a wholesome impulse, a wholesome desire. So uh, we don't want to imply that there's no room or space for desire in our practice. It's actually an important part of the path of practice. Without a desire to be free, we would not practice. And Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz is kind of an example of Dhammachanda. She really wants to get home. She wants to, you know, go, get home, which we'll talk more about what that means. So, um, but some classic examples, right, are um, before Dorothy goes to Kansas or goes to the Oz, she's in Kansas and she's quite disenchanted with her life. And she sings the song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, right? And it's like, over the, way up high, there's a land that I heard of in a lullaby, somewhere over... Don't you want to sing it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I might sing, we're off to see the wizard, but this one, I don't think so. You're not going to sing? No. Okay. <laughs> the sky, over the rainbow, the skies are blue. The dreams you dare to dream really do come true. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me, um, where troubles melt like lemon drops above the chimney tops. <laughs> you know, it just kind of goes on and... and um, it's clearly an example of her wanting things to be better, prettier. You know, she has a desire, a sense desire for pleasure. So that's kind of a, you know, more subtle way it shows up. And then when we land in the land of Oz, the Wicked Witch shows up, right? And when she shows up, um, she says um, to to Dorothy, I want those shoes, <laughs> you know. And then she says, I'll get those shoes, my pretty, <laughs> right, in this very wicked way. Um, later, she even says, uh, well, so she's wanting, I guess I'm combining, here's the greed, I want those shoes, you know, I want to get them. Um, later, she then is like threatening bodily harm <laughs> to get the shoes. The aversion, the ill will follows on the heels of the greed. Um, and then I wanted to sort of talk about the Emerald City itself. 
So this is the home of the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, it's really seen through rose-colored glasses, you know, by the Munchkin. So they're singing the song. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We hear he is a whiz of a whiz, if ever a whiz there was. If ever, ever a whiz there was, the Wizard of Oz is one because, 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 because the wonderful things he does. So there's no content in this. There's nothing really. It's just all this because, because, right? Um, and and then just about the city itself, right? Um, it's full and built on sense desire, right? It's like painted horses, right? It's like everybody, everything's green, right? It's just like fancy, fancy. The first place they take Dorothy and the friends when they arrive is to this like little fix-it-up factory where they get their hair done and the scarecrow gets new straw and the lion gets, you know, detailed. <laughs> the tin man has all his rust, rust removed. So um, so there's an example of where you see, you know, uh, sense desire. Um, two, two other things is just to reference the yellow brick road itself. This, you know, it's like there's often talked about as the gold standard's Painted gold, right? Light gold, um, and and I think it also, for me, represents the momentum of greed, right? There's this momentum of of building and moving toward what you want. So then, in aversion, we've got that basic wicked witch, right? You know, I'll get you, my pretty. She kidnaps her, tells her she's going to kill her, sets the timer, takes the monkeys, and sends the the Toto, the monkeys off to drown Toto in the river, right? I mean, classic, extreme, you know, extreme. On a less extreme, a little bit more subtle, disguised level, I'll bring up the wizard himself, right? It's sort of like aversion or hatred disguised as a promise to help. He sends Dorothy and her friends to the Wicked Witch to get her broom. What? You know, and he says, you go do this, bring it back, and I'll give you all what you want. A false promise. Sending them into life-threatening situation. He doesn't think they're going to survive. So to me, this is a real example of ill will. So with that, let me turn it over to Diana for the Dharma perspective. That was fun, Tanya. I don't think I will ever uh, consider this movie the same again, especially the one you were the witch. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm loving this. And I think it's good, right? Because the hindrances, I know for me, I felt like uh, it was a failing. It was something when I got cut with them, I think like something's wrong with me in the practice. So this is a lot of fun to kind of bring some levity to it. So I'm going to... Uh, say a few more things, maybe build on some what uh, Tanya said. So just to reiterate, the desire that's being pointed to is not all desire. Of course, right? We need desire when we're hungry. We desire to eat. That's you know such a natural part of being human. The desire that's being pointed to here is, we could say, sensory desire. So it's the desire to um, have sense pleasures, things that taste good, smell good, feel good, these types of things. And it's a hindrance when it's getting in the way, when it's hindering. 
So we don't want to say that, you know, having some pleasurable experience is inherently bad. That's exactly where we don't want to go. It becomes a hindrance when we are thinking that pursuing pleasures, it will be a source of lasting happiness. And we find ourselves on this hedonic treadmill trying to find the next one and then the next one, the next one, and we never get to more freedom. So it's kind of like the opposite of freedom, right, is just pursuing the next sense pleasure. So one thing that we might say then that's so much about Buddhist practice, this whole practice, is to help make this distinction. Okay, so what kind of sensory desire is skillful, helpful, healthy, and what isn't? And often we can't see this distinction um, when we're in the midst of it, but when the mind starts to settle down a little bit with some meditation and maybe with some of the pointing that Tanya and I are doing or pointing that you've heard in Dharma talks or read in books or something can help support that, but to help make this distinction between what is helpful. And so in order to um, help with this, make the distinction, part of what we need to do is just really get to know desire this sensory desire, this desire for pleasures with the senses, so that it can stop being a hindrance and that we can understand whether it's helpful or not helpful. So it's part of like to experience it, this sensory desire is just a part of the human experience. And instead of thinking like, okay, this is a problem, I have to do something about it, it can be like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to learn something. Here's an opportunity for me to see um, what's my relationship to these desires. Am I holding on and thinking and hoping that, okay, this is going to make me happy? Or are we looking at the objects and getting obsessed with the objects? Okay, look at that. Oh, it's so beautiful. As soon as I have that, it's going to be great. And wow, look at that toaster. As soon as I get the new toaster making this up, of course, right? Then it's going to make breakfast so much better. And then once I have a good breakfast and my day is going to be better and then I can do all this kind of stuff. So I just got to get the right toaster, not too big, not too small, you know, this type of thing. And we kind of start getting obsessed with the toaster and not even recognizing how, as Tony was saying, how we're like leaning forward and we're just filled with kind of like this desire. We might even say greed. And we're completely detached from our own experience, detached from everything that's going around while we're clicking around on Amazon, looking for the perfect toaster. So can we experience desire and use it as an opportunity to learn? Notice how we often kind of get obsessed with the object and get disconnected from ourselves. Or notice how we might be projecting onto the object. We're going to think, okay, everything's going to be all right as soon as I get this. We, of course, can say the same with the aversion. Everything's going to be okay as soon as I get rid of this broken toaster that's taken up all this space on my counter and I don't have room for the blender for my smoothies in the morning and I have to make all that noise to move it around and I wake up my partner. Right? These things that we do. So... There are a few ways that um, to help. Like, well, what is skillful desire? What isn't? And here are some ways to maybe work with this. Does it get in the way? Does it hinder? 
Does it get in the way of something that's important to you? Get in the way of your meditation practice? Does it get in the way of feeling centered in your body? Does it get in the way to what your priorities are in your life? Sometimes we are so busy pursuing the next dopamine hit or something like that that um, we fill our days with that and the things that are really important to us get neglected. So that's one way. Is it skillful or unskillful? We could ask ourselves, is it getting in the way? Is there something else that we could be doing with our time and our energy? Another thing that we can ask ourselves is that when we finally get, attain, achieve what we're desiring, when we finally get that new toaster, does it bring the ease that we're expecting? Does it bring the happiness? Does it bring a sense of freedom? Or we just immediately opt, oh, okay, now I got the new toaster, it doesn't match the dishwasher, so now I got to get a new dishwasher. You know, of course I'm making this up. But there's a way, right, in which there can just be, it's, we get what we're after, but there's no sense of ease or satisfaction. It's just, like, as I said, kind of like this hedonic treadmill. So that's part of uh, how we can discern is whether it's helpful or not helpful. So part of um, working with sensory desire is just to recognize it's happening and then to notice, okay, is this helpful or unhelpful? And then some other things that we can do is to look at what is the experience of desiring? How does that feel? How does it feel in the body? Sonia talked about leaning forward. And I noticed that when I'm talking about desired, I'm talking about toaster. I just, my body, I was automatically going like this. And there's this toaster out there. My body was automatically going forward. Like whether we think about it or not, our body is you know, often expressing these things. But it can be really helpful to notice what is the bodily experience because if we pay attention, we'll see that there's a certain amount of contraction or tightness or um, there isn't a sense of ease and openness and relaxation. There's a little bit more of a doggedness, like, okay, i got to get this. There's a certain tightness that's associated with it that often we don't notice because we're paying attention to the object. Oh, look how beautiful it is, those curves, and it's shiny, and... It looks so great. (laughs) Tonya's laughing about the way I'm talking about the toaster. I'm laughing about the way that you're talking about the Wizard of Oz. And this is great, I think, right? The hindrances, right? We need to bring some levity to them. Otherwise, it can feel like, oh, heavy. But so what can we do? Some things also is to maybe uh, essentially... Um, direct the mind elsewhere, away from that object of desire, one way we can practice just in daily life. And that might be a little bit of a little bit of distraction in terms of, okay, just what am I doing right now? And can I be embodied and present with what I'm doing? Because sometimes what we're what we're doing is different than the desire, like what we're doing is we're like trying to find what it is that we're designing. Here I am leaning my body forward. 
it's um, so instead, can we just be present for our experience? But maybe I'm not explaining this well. That um, maybe like to apply ourselves a little bit more diligently, or apply a little bit more energy to what we're doing. Uh, maybe that's distinct from the desire. Let's make that distinction. So that maybe um, if we're standing in the kitchen, just to be standing. If we're, chop- if we're putting butter on the toast after it came out of the bad toaster, then we can just like be with that. Maybe I didn't explain that well, but essentially it's kind of like distracting yourself away from the desire and just be with what you're doing. And then something else that we can do as a support for practicing with desire is something that's not so easy to do and really easy to miss is to notice the sense of ease, spaciousness is there when the desire is gone. And often we won't notice when the desire just goes away. It, but it might be like 10 minutes, one hour, 30 minutes, I don't know how long. Later, we're like, oh yeah, I don't have that desire anymore. And then just kind of feel in, oh yeah, there isn't that little sense of urgency or tightness that was associated with it before. The more often we can do this, notice the subtle sense of ease and freedom after the desire has been satisfied, it's fantastic because once the body and the mind notice, oh yeah, not having it is actually a pleasant state and really supports our being open to what's happening and what we might want to do with our life, then there'll be more inclination to connect with that. But this is not easy. It takes kind of like a, a commitment or a reminder to notice oh yeah, I had that desire before and it's not here now. And to see the notice of the feeling. So now I'll talk a little bit about kind of like the flip side. So aversion and ill will. First I'll make a little bit of a distinction between aversion and ill will. Aversion is just kind of like this pushing away, just as Tanya said. Like, okay, you know, I don't want this. And then for me, I would say ill will is like, I don't want this. And there's a little flavor of hostility in there. A little flavor of like, dang it, go away, get out of here. You know, something like that. With a little bit of a of a tone or something like this. So sometimes um, we, might, we might think like anger or resentment or having a grudge or resistance. These types of things are associated with... Uh, aversion and ill will. And as we talked about earlier, we might even say that fear is here too. That fear is a, is a part of um, hindrances and ill will. Because sometimes with the ill will is because uh, we are afraid that that's going to be uncomfortable or we're afraid that it's going to, whatever it is we're afraid of. So we have a certain amount of get go away because we think it's going to... Um, we're afraid of it. We don't want it to be around. Like like the Wizard of Oz. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Who was afraid of the Wicked Witch coming to the land of Oz, and so was like, go away, Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. You're absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And then, just like I was saying with uh, desire, all turning away, 
or uh, aversion is not bad, right? Of course, it's healthy to have boundaries to say, okay, this is acceptable, this isn't. I'm willing, this is okay to have in my experience and this isn't. I'm going to walk away from somebody who's yelling at me. It's inappropriate for them to be treating me that way and to be walking away, right? That's not a hindrance. So it's the same thing for to have the sensitivity of, okay, is this skillful or unskillful? Is this helpful or unhelpful? Just in the same way that we do with desire. And in the same way with desire, just to recognize that the role of understanding it requires that we be present when it's there. So to have this, how does it feel in the body? What is the mind doing when we have this sense of aversion? Again, we will feel a certain sense of contraction and in the same way with desire, I should say, there can be a strong sense of me here and that thing over there. There's a really strong sense that there's these two things, me against the world in some kind of way. So that thing over there, I either want it or I don't want it. And there's a real strong sense of me here And this can be uh, vague when I'm talking about this, but if you tune in, you can notice that when we're not filled with desire or ill will, that the sense of me being isolated and separate and distinct from everything else isn't so strong. And when that isn't so strong, there's also more ease, more freedom and peace. So... One thing that we can also look at for desire, or I'm sorry, for ill will, is to, if, especially if this is like a habit of ours, is to notice uh, what purpose does it have in our life? What's like underneath fueling it? Some examples might be that we have some beliefs, that we have some uh, Beliefs that maybe aren't so clear, for example, I can keep myself safe if I push everything away. That's going to make me uncomfortable. This is a way to make myself safe. Or maybe we can have this, um, having ill will gives me a sense of vitality. Like when we're really angry or mad and trying to get rid of something, there's a energy that goes through and like feels like we're alive. There's a little bit of drama associated with it, and we feel alive. And we might feel like, if I don't have that, then what would my life feel like? Or maybe we might have a, another sense of, well, I'm a person that belongs to this group, and this group likes this and doesn't like that, so I don't like that. And I really don't like that because I want to be part of this group. And so it's a way in which our sense of identity is, can be associated with you know, having some ill will or some aversion towards something. Maybe the same way with the desire, too. So just to have a, some curiosity about like what's underneath, what's fueling, and to recognize that there's often some hidden beliefs about it. And then maybe the last thing that I'll say about uh, ill will or aversion is we can actively apply an antidote 
And the obvious one is loving kindness. So if you have a loving kindness practice, you can bring this, bring it in. I'm not going to go into details about what loving kindness practice is, but I do want to say one thing. I am not talking about having loving kindness for the same thing that we have ill will for. That's a really tall order. What I'm talking about is just changing the ecosystem inside the mind and to like soften and kind of like uh, disrupt the momentum. So loving kindness practice is to like bring to mind the easiest thing to have loving kindness for. Kittens, puppies, babies, grandkids, pets, this type of thing. Bring those to mind. And you notice how when you bring those to mind, right, then the, the temperature of the ill will and aversion can come down. So that's Diana's little desire and aversion, little overview of that. And I'll turn it back to Tanya. You guys ready to do a practice? Great. So I'll guide you through the practice of RAFT. It's an acronym. I'll tell you what each letter stands for. R is the recognition. A is allowing. F is finding it and feeling it. There's two T's. The first is teasing apart. Most simply put, what's going on from our reaction to it, but it can be much more complicated. And the last T is finding what we can trust our practice. So I'll guide you through it, but I just wanted to give you the lay of the land before we start. So taking just a minute to settle in, I'm going to drop in a question for you to kind of just see what, what answer arrives. And the first thing I want you to do is to notice whenever your answer arrives if this is something that's just kind of too big to work with right now. And if it is, just ask yourself the question again, okay? So the question is, what do I think needs to be different in my life right now? So allowing yourself to connect or choose an answer that feels like something that you can work with in this practice, in this this room, without getting kind of overwhelmed. So do you all have a sense of something that you think needs to be different in your life right now? It can be very small. Yes? Jay? I got a big one. <laughs> <laughs> They're all big? No, no small? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I got laid off recently. I have health issues. I can go all that. But in the small area, I could say is I'm dealing with part of the restlessness. Okay. So, and it hasn't changed the whole time. Just, you know, okay, great. Great. Perfect. Okay. All right, so... Now, the first thing to do, so you've got your thing. Now, just check in. We're recognizing we want something to be different. Do we want it to be better? So is there some greed present? 
Do we want it to go away? Is there some aversion present? So is there a leaning in or a pushing away? So just recognize the hindrance or hindrances. Once we've recognized it, if it's permissible to you, we want to allow ourselves to be in the company of the hindrance. To see if we can't turn toward the hindrance itself. And it doesn't mean endorsing it. Doesn't mean, you know, we're going to give in to it. But it does mean we're going to stop fighting with it for a moment and allow ourselves to kind of turn face to face. And as we do, as we find ourselves turning toward, see if you can shift your awareness into your body. See if you can find and feel where the energy of the hindrance is manifesting in your body. What does it feel like? What part of your body or parts of your body can you notice it in? You might notice it in your throat, your chest, your hands, your shoulders, your neck. You might notice it in your eyebrows and the little squinch between your eyes. Getting quiet enough to be able to receive the sensations in the body, connected to the hindrance. Seeing if you can keep bringing your awareness back to the sensations instead of the story ideas if you have a thought try and follow them like a vibration into the body notice if it's changing we'll do one of three things right can grow can diminish or stay the same. What's happening for you in this moment? Breathing and sensing. Being as simple as we can with the experience. At some point when you're ready, you can move to the next part of the practice. And the simplest part of this teasing apart 
is to see if you can't first just acknowledge there is the thing that we think needs to be different, whatever it is, and then our reaction to it, and that's the wanting or not wanting, the reaction. For me, I find it very helpful to imagine a very spacious room with a round table and as many chairs as I need. And with each thing that I see as part of this, for example, the thing that I think needs to be different can have a chair, a seat at the table, and my response to it can have another chair. Inviting them to sit down, see them separately. And as you do, you may realize there are some other things that are present here. Perhaps there's an idea a view, an opinion, a belief that has to do with why you think you need this thing to be different. Maybe there's an imagined future that feels threatened and it too needs a seat at the table. There could also be memories from the past, the way it used to be, or a different experience altogether that is somehow connected to this one. everything to have as much space as it needs. Some of these things you may not want to go near, and that's fine. Some of these things you might feel comfortable sitting down next to. Another question you can ask is, what is the purpose of the hindrance here? What is it trying to do? You could also ask, 
What's feeding or fueling the hindrance? What's keeping it going? And there's no need to create answers. If there's an answer that arises, allow it to have a seat. If not, no problem. We're just trying to untangle, not create more tangles, right? So just simply allowing yourself to acknowledge the different pieces that come to you that are part of the situation. And at some point, if you feel settled, like you're seeing clearly, you can move on to the next part of the practice. This is about trust. What can we trust about our practice, about what we've experienced or seen? What does it feel like to rest in trust? Can we remind ourselves that the hindrance is not who we are? If there's any sense of ease, try to orient toward that ease. Just breathing gently with it. Sometimes if I'm having a hard time resting in a sense of ease or trust, I might remind myself that this experience, the hindrance or whatever's going on is, will change. That the way I'm feeling now will change probably fairly quickly in some way or another. Sometimes I just, it's really helpful to remind myself that I'm not my experience. I'm not limited by what's happening. It doesn't define me. And that it's nature, really. It's something that comes and goes in all of our minds and hearts. And if it's really hard, I might even put my hand on my heart. Kind of feel the warmth of my hand there. Breathing into my heart. 
You might say something like, may I be at ease. May I have well-being. May I be safe from harm. Taking a few more minutes to practice in a way that feels supportive for you.
Thank you, Tanya. So Tanya walked us through R, recognize, A, allow, F, feel in the body, T, tease apart with sitting around the table. It was very interesting to have these different ideas sitting around the table. And then to trust, maybe some softening. I don't think you used exactly that word. but And then even a little bit of loving kindness at the end. <laughs> So we'd love to hear from you guys. How was that? How was that uh, meditation? Or maybe you have some questions about uh, the hindrances in general, or maybe even the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Tony, I'll, maybe I'll just say one tiny thing, that I just imagined you watching this movie with your kids, and it made me just really happy during that meditation. So it's very nice. I thought it was super helpful when you did the table. Mm. I was like, I don't know how many chairs I can fill. And then they kept coming, and I kept adding chairs. And it was just kind of nice. I sat at the table for a really long time and just recognized. I don't know if I put it in there. I didn't want to throw in too much. But it can also be helpful to allow the, the chairs to have relative size. You know, to like, oh, that thing is huge. <laughs> that thing's kind of small. And, and then there's a, the possibility of a whole new set of insights can come. Somebody, yeah, I found myself starting to, I kept moving over. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're here. <laughs> yep, it can be as big as it needs to be. And, and allowing the space to expand as well. Just if you feel you need more space... It's right there. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Um, yeah, I really appreciated the, um, the meditation, I think. <clears throat> Between the two of you, I was uh, uh, working through some of the stuff you were talking about as you were talking, and then partway through... Uh, through the sit, it kind of just dissolved on its own, and I just stopped paying attention to what you were saying. I was just like appreciating it, um, so um, it was really wonderful. And that was really wise of you, Kevin, to let it just sit. Because um, one thing I didn't mention, but I like to say is, we don't always have to go all the way through. Sometimes it's the simple act of recognition, and that's all that's needed. Like there's an almost an instant recognizing and allowing, and it just dissolves. So you only go as far as you need to go, you know, in the practice. Sometimes there's really nothing to tease apart. So you can just, you know, it's just kind of letting yourself rest. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Well, maybe it even starts with feeling in the body. Maybe. Just like, oh, there's some tightness here. Mm-hmm. And then there's a recognition allowing. Or maybe there's just something in the body and then some allowing. So R-A-F-T is nice. I like this idea of a raft that's going to take us over to safety or something like this. But it doesn't have to, we don't have to do that acronym in that order. Mm-mm. And I won't say what other words. I, I have thought of other words. that. Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll have to tell me later. <laughs> Anybody else have a, a comment or? So, um, what if it's something that you've wanted to fix a bunch of times in your life? Mm-hmm. You have fixed it before. You're looking at it again. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that change, if anything? Yeah. Well, t- I mean, just for tonight, part of it was trying to, could, could you feel there's what you want to change? Could you feel into just that feeling of wanting to change it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Great. Okay. So part of that tonight was just about like this trying to get used to and recognize what the hindrance, the not liking or the not wanting or the wanting, right, feels like, the impact of it. So, okay. And so your question, what if you've already changed this thing many times Mm -hmm. and now you want to change it again? Mm -hmm. So can I ask you a question? Sure. Why are you asking this question? Uh, partially just Use intellectual intellectual interest. Does, okay. Does it change the the model at all? Okay. Okay. Is there an additional insight that comes from thinking about some of these things do recur, right? Oh, and yeah. is there wisdom? And when you look at it a second, third, fourth time, uh, is there some additional thing that comes that can be brought to bear? Mostly intellectual interest. Though. Yeah. Well, I would say this is not an it's not an intellectual practice. It's no, a, my question is, it comes from the yeah. If you ask me why, why the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would say experience it. Find out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Because the answer could be there's more or there's not more. But you, won't, you wouldn't know that until, until you did the practice. Does that make sense? Maybe, Diana, if you have a, a response. Uh, yeah, because maybe if something is recurring and you've done it before, I would say pay attention to what's fueling it. Why is it recurring? But the uh, when I'm saying pay attention, I'm not necessarily saying dig and figure it out. It's maybe like drop in, like what is fueling this? Kind of like this dropping in this question. I'm doing this with my hands because it is, is more kind of like an opening and I wonder why this is occurring. So it's a spirit of curiosity as opposed to i got to figure this out. And sometimes when we do that, then something new will bubble up and then we can maybe work with whatever the new thing is. Sometimes if something is repeating, there's a reason and there's something underneath it. So that might be something I could offer. Okay. Right. So we might learn something about ourselves, some of our beliefs that we have that are fueling these types of things. And it's these underlying beliefs that are when we recognize them and allow them to lose some of their authority, this is where real transformation happens. Is that Make room at the table. Yes, thank you. That's I thought of that too. That's a great idea. Just bring this to the table. That I do. Oh, I've done this so many times before. Okay, you get to sit in that chair. Yeah, bigger, bigger chair. Okay, so now we'd like to provide an opportunity for you guys to talk to each other and about this. And maybe we'll just have them be in one group together. Yeah. So, 
we'll just uh, we can go around the circle. You guys will make a little circle, and then just one person will speak while everybody else is listening. And then the next person will go. The next person. The next person. And we'll um, do two questions, and I'll give you one. And then after I give you guys some time, then I do the second one. So maybe spend two minutes on the, your description or of uh, what you're discussing. Two minutes each? Yeah. Sorry. Um, so the first one is, what role does the pursuit of sensory pleasure or ill will have in your life? Is this something that is a real dominant feature that you're seeing showing up all over the place? Or you're like, no, I'm pretty equanimous most of the time. Or are you finding, yeah, my um, ill will, my anger gets me into a lot of trouble or my shopping all the time gets me into trouble or something. You don't have to share your deep, dark secrets, but just this recognition, what role do they have in your life? So, and I'll just add, yeah. it could be protective roles. Yeah, very nice. Right? It, it's not just that it gets you in t- trouble, but it maybe it distracts you from something that's difficult, you know. So just just to like kind of because maybe there's a better way to do it, but still, it's ha- it has a role. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And maybe talk about the magnitude, like it's really big or really small or something like this. And then after you guys have been in a circle for a little bit, then I'll uh, give you a second question. So if you guys want to sit closer so you don't have to yell across the room. Be, you know, what was the value of this time together for you? Any questions? I'll start that uh, I, I shared with Tanya like before I like started this practice I had no idea how much like this kind of like desire was like so much a part of my life I'm like always trying to get the next thing Whether it's, sometimes it's books or I don't know it's, it's amazing to see and how much a habit it is mm-hmm. to kind of like okay I want to start a new habit Okay, well, then I must need to buy something in order that I can start a gratitude practice. I need a gratitude journal, or I don't know. I'm just, you know, it's this kind of, it's quite something. So, with practice, it definitely has lessened, but I, sometimes I find myself having this. Anybody else want to, like, talk about? You don't have to, as I said, share any deep, dark secrets, but what was it like to look at the role? of desire and ill will and then after that to look at okay what are some things that are nourishing and supportive that are independent of desire and ill will how was how is that like the contrast maybe between the two I was talking a lot about how anger and fear are really big for me in my life right now. And often it can feel like a really big chair. So what I do is I find myself sitting in a bench, um, on a bench at a park, um, watching the dogs and the kids and the, na- like the trees and the birds. You know, you just 
kind of get lost in mm. the nature of life happening and it helps me a lot yeah yeah sick yeah it's amazing right spending time in nature it's yeah. like really how supportive or whatever is going on mm-hmm. even when you're really happy it's nice to be in nature right yeah thank you thank you I don't, yeah, 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 yes. yes. I had mentioned. I don't know if it's distracting me from dealing with the actual hindrances, but it feels good. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't worry whether it's distracting. Sometimes we mm-hmm. need to spend time outside, mm-hmm. hanging out with trees and dogs and kids. Well, and um, by abandoning the hindrances, you know, by by picking up the nature, you abandon the hindrance, right? So it's a beautiful thing. It's wise effort. You know, you're redirecting your attention. Um, yeah, I, I found it, um, <laughs> yeah, talking about um, kind of the challenges, and then when you pose the question, what doesn't, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, it was really nice to compare and contrast, um, I guess, the clinging, the non-clinging, and keep things in perspective. Um, but I also found it um, really interesting to listen to everyone else, what supports them. And I think I'm going to steal all of your guys' things. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> hopefully it's given freely. And, um, yeah, and it was also really nice just to be in community. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to share what was steel-worthy? Is it, is it, is it, um, so there's, you know, generosity, nature, um, connecting with the arts, um, uh, you know, this creativity, um, and, um, actually Gus did mention you joined the choir. I started taking voice lessons recently, but I just go karaoke by myself. I was like, oh, I I think a choir would be, that, that sounds cool. Yeah, so like uh, joining your voices together, that nice. sounds mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. Fantastic. One of the things I realized is that um, sometimes you can get real learning. Uh, you're you're going to recognize the term from orthogonal sources, right? I mean, not along the path of where you're headed, but things that you normally would not consider, mm-hmm. but if you put yourself in those situations and if you are open to that, learning will come in a way that is not predictable a priori, but being in them uh, is very helpful. And that, that was part of the, I mean, I was just mentioning, I decided a couple of months ago that every week I'm going to go do something with the arts, period, whether I go see a symphony or a museum mm-hmm. or whatever, just do something, right? Because in the end, it feeds my soul. This is something I've known all my life, but, but you know, I haven't done a lot of. And so, like, no, just just go do it. And it may not be directly predictable how that's going to impact me, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It It is something that when I do it, I feel awe and I feel joy. I feel gratitude, and it's totally separate from the the craving and the mm. aversion. Right? Thank you, Gus. Nice. Can I come with you? <laughs> go to the museum. Yeah, we can all go together. <laughs> okay. Thank you.
Use the mic, will you? Um, so I, I realized one of the one of my um, weak areas of practice was generosity. You know, I could do mindfulness of breath, you know, body scans, whatever, all this stuff. But it was not having a regular generosity part, and it was not integrated. And I remember, you know, listening to some Dharma talks, and Gil was talking the emphasis on it, and um, some examples he gave was great. And I won't go into that, but the point that they wanted me to share is, so I figured out, okay, in my budget, <laughs> what can I do? So I have some, you know, severe financial limitations, and you know, in my area, there's a lot of homeless. Quite a, now, it's even really severe. And sometimes even like food they would not take. And but I figured out almost everybody would take like a cold soda, you know, a Coke. Mm. And those are really cheap. If you buy like three twelve packs, they give you two for free in safe years. And I can buy like huge amounts, and it's pretty cheap. It's like you know, forty cents a can or something. So I store it in the fridge, and every day I'll put two in my backpack. And before I come home, they have to be gone. So my part of my mind is scanning for okay, who can I give it? Who can I give it? And sometimes it's not necessarily a homeless guy. Some guy, a security guard at the door, like just a travel friendship and say, hey, you want a soda? And it, it opens the door to a conversation sometimes, you know, and, you know. So it's just a bridge sometimes. And sometimes it's the homeless guys love just, it's not the Coke even, you know, for them it's like, you see me, you know. Mm. They feel so invisible. Everybody's walking by mm. nonstop. He's got this thing on. And there's so many homeless. People also overwhelmed, you know. And just this, even if it's not like hundred bucks, it's like okay, wow, I, you know, somebody sees me, you know. So, and just in that, I can't, I can, I can, I can feel it because even when he says that God bless you, you can feel the sort of almost a grief in him of you know wanting <laughs> to be touched and so on. So, you know, it's been an experiment for a few months now, and so far I'm loving it. I'm not stopped, you know. So it's still going well. Mm. So it's sort of a budget <laughs> in my budget. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a great idea. Beautiful. What a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. It's such a great idea. And I can imagine, even if you're homeless, maybe you don't have cold drinks very often either. Exactly, right? yeah. I used to just give, you know, regular, and then I realized the cold adds an extra punch to it. You know, they're like, whoa, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. It reminds me of a practice I did for a while, um, which was to, like, literally, when I was approaching a crosswalk or a four-way, stop to really stop early like so that if there was any pedestrians there was a generosity of space right this a sense of offering safeness to people and it it would create a connection often that people would really like it they kind of would take it in make eye contact or or i just felt joy <laughs> because it just felt like a sweet thing to be doing yeah but I think it's nice to be creative about how we are generous with others because there's there's what we do with that has to do with objects and money, but there's also what we give with our attention, which you're also describing, right? Giving your attention, acknowledging someone, you know. Yeah, that's great. Well... Anything else? So it's great. I loved hearing from you guys. Yeah. Really, really lovely. Really fun. So um, maybe I'll just do a very brief summary of the key points, and um, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. 
So I think just the reminder, 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 so you've heard this before, is to invite more of a sense of curiosity, lightness, playfulness when you are working with, experiencing, thinking about the hindrances. Just think about the Wizard of Oz. Um, And remember, we're not saying that all desire is bad or that all, you know, aversion is bad. You know, it's, is it hindering? Is it wholesome? Is it skillful? If it's not hindering, just, you know, great. Right? If it's not causing harm, you know, just watch out for your clinging. Watch out for identifying with it, right? Um, So, you know, some of the skillful things are to, if you see, like the most subtle level is you can kind of try and ignore the ill will and just kind of redirect your energy, right? Or your desire, trying not to feed it. So just don't, you don't have to give it a ton of attention is one method, Another is to re- actively redirect your attention, right? To, or try and re-engage in a different way that isn't feeding into the desire or aversion. To notice what you're doing that feeds it and stop feeding it if possible. Like, you know, um, we can, you know, feed aversion if we think that, you know, for example, if we're being critical of something, maybe our boss who's, you know, and our co-workers appreciate that we're being critical because we're speaking to a problem. Wanting our approval of our co-workers or wanting to advocate for them can be feeding aversion in that situation. So we need to pay attention to, like, what's feeding it and then make sure we check ourselves and that we're not engaging in things that are causing harm. It's helpful sometimes to, to kind of pull away or move, remove things that trigger aversion and, and desire, you know? Like, maybe you don't go on Amazon, <laughs> you know? Maybe there's various things that you do to kind of take a break, right, from the normal triggers. Um, and really notice when, when the... You know, desire and aversion are present, and then when they're gone. Don't just, not just when they're there, but when are they absent? And when they're absent, appreciate what that absence feels like. Usually there's a sense of more being at ease, more being settled. There's not this, and there's not that. It's more, ah. (laughs) So notice that. Savor it, appreciate it. And try and sustain it. So you might notice then the mind, oh my God, it's so relentless. Pretty soon you can start to feel and the mind will just offer this next thing you need to go get or do or get rid of. And if you're you're staying closer to the ease, you can feel the dis-ease that starts to arise with that. And you might say, not now. Not now. All right. Diana, you want to? You know, I have uh, here my 
my job now is to remind you about the homework. But the homework that I have written down, I don't think it's for this. No, uh, I think Henders. those didn't get updated. Mm-hmm. So um, it's on the handout, though, right? Yes, and of course I only brought one of the two handouts, so, you know. <laughs> so I'll just make up some homework. Great. <laughs> I think it could be really helpful to, like before our meditation period, to remember, tap into what you talked about, those things that are supportive that are not with desire and ill will, going to the arts, being generous with the homeless, spending time in nature. Just bring those to mind before your meditation period and just see how meditation unfolds. Just like how does that support the maybe some openness or some ease with meditation? So play around with that. Okay, so here we are at the top of the hour. It was uh, great being here with you guys, practicing together. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>